Is that okay, stuckness? Can you handle that? Sorry for all of you uh, English students out there and brilliant writers. It's a word I came up with uh, to try and uh, get you to listen today, get you to focus a little bit today. So uh, it's what a fantastic morning. Uh, seeing the baptisms, just really special. Thank you, Pastor Pete, for putting the cover back on because I 100% would have stepped into that. <laughs> You would have loved to see that, wouldn't you? That could have been the opening to my sermon, just fall in, the, uh, fall in there and uh, then you would have really focused. Uh, that's an incredible time the last 10 weeks, um, just going through this uh, spiritual practices and uh, really looking at what it means to follow Jesus. Um, so they're the seven core practices that we spoke about. So if it's your first Sunday here or first Sunday uh, watching, just to give you a little bit of uh, context, we've really been talking about these practices because these are practices that Jesus did uh, these are practices that Christians have done for 2,000 years. The practices, as we've spoken about, have no power in themselves. Uh, praying is not going to get you to heaven. But praying and reading the scripture and Sabbathing and fasting, all of these things put you in front of Jesus and give you that opportunity to look him in the eyes and he looks into your heart. And in that place, you can build a relationship with him. Uh, without prayer, it's very difficult to build a friendship with God because you're not talking to God and you're not listening to his voice. So this is what we've been talking about in this series. And uh, as I've mentioned, our, um, our little family uh, attempts to do a Sabbath uh, every Saturday. So we try and do it on a um, Saturday, mainly Saturday morning. We really try to focus as a family. So the six of us, I've got four children, and uh, we, we, we go to do that. Yesterday morning, we started off with uh, pancakes, which was fantastic. Zoe, my wife, cooked pancakes for us. And uh, we rolled out of bed and we're just quiet time. There's no screens. And we just uh, start the day with a little bit of prayer, a little bit of pancakes. And then about 10 o'clock, I said to the kids, all right, everyone grab your journals now. They all have a journal uh, that they can write in or draw in for our little prayer time. We're going to have a little prayer time together. And Jed, my four-year-old, who turns five tomorrow, went and grabbed his journal, and his journal's just a big book with big blank pages, because he can't write yet. Uh, he can write J-E-D, J-E-D, usually gets his J's backwards though, but he can write that at the moment, that's it, he just draws in his journal, because that's how he hears from God, through pictures, and tries through pictures. So we all sat down, and uh, Jed had already drawn a picture, so he must already be hearing the voice of the Lord, he's already sat there, and Daddy, I've drawn a picture, oh, fantastic, we sat as a family, Hear the voice of God, we're going to do some prayer together. What have, you, what have you drawn? This is amazing. You're only five. I've drawn a picture of the devil. Okay. <laughs> uh, tell me about that. Yeah, it's a picture of the devil. Here's his horns. And I'm like, who's that guy on the side there? He's like, oh, that's Jesus. I'm like, oh, thank God we're teaching him something. Right? The devil was a lot bigger than Jesus, though, but uh, so he uh, hasn't quite got his perspective right yet. But, uh, and then he's like, look, one of the horns of the devil that sticks into Jesus' eye. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> anyway, so Sabbath is still a work in progress and teaching them about Jesus. It takes time, okay? It takes a long time to practice following Jesus and getting to know him. And uh, we sort out devil and Jesus and who's what uh, in the long run. But last week, we spoke about the problem uh, of time. Because we've done, we've done eight weeks looking at the practices, and then last week we looked at a bit of what do we do with our weekly schedule? How do we turn our weekly schedule, our rhythm of how we live our life? You all have this rhythm. You have these habits. Whether you think you're in control or not, it doesn't matter. You're living your life, and something's happening every day, and you've chosen for that to happen, and you have some kind of habit, some kind of rhythm to your seven days a week. So we, we've looked at that, and we're going to look at that again today. And there's two things that really stand in the road of having a rhythm or a weekly schedule that brings you face-to-face -face with Jesus or not. 
And the first thing is time. Time is a big issue, and we spoke about that last week. We spoke about a slowed down spirituality, so practicing following Jesus, practicing prayer, learning to get deeper in prayer, deeper in the scripture. These things slow us down, not only in a spiritual sense, but they will slow your life down to actually bring you to a place that's healthy, a place where God is at the center. And the slow down spirituality ensures that our life runs by God's clock, biblical time, not culture's clock. Aussie time is fast and hurrying and people are anxious and people are stressed and people have, are overloaded and people are burning out. But God's clock's very different. It slows you down, it focuses you on what's right, on what's true, and it helps you to deal with the distractions. Because let's be honest, that's where the devil is with his big horns poking in people's eyes, okay? He's in the busyness, he's in the rushing. The devil uses uh, the rushing and the buying and the having and the wanting and all the things of our culture to distract you from what you really want, which is to have a healthy relationship with God and to become who God has called you to be. This is a quote from uh, John Mark Comer that I found really, really confronting. And uh, I've, I've made sure that I've quoted him today so that you can't get angry at me. But this is what he says. He says, if you're too busy to pray and live in Christian community, then you're really, let's be honest, you're really too busy to follow Jesus. Does anyone else feel confronted like I felt when I read that quote? If you can't pray, you can't give some time to God to talk to him and to listen to him, build a friendship. If you can't hang out with your brothers and sisters in Christ and be at church or be in a life group or be mentored or be talking to people about your faith and helping one another follow Jesus, then really, there's not really enough time to fit God in. And this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, is um, where, where I've taken some of the content we've spoken about the last few weeks, so you might want might to read that. We all have these moments in our life where we get stuck. Maybe you're looking at that quote going, yeah, to be honest, I'm so busy, I find it hard to fit God in. I'm, I'm a bit stuck, Pastor Kay. And the good news for you this morning is that's okay to be stuck. It's okay to be in a little bit of trouble. It happens as you're trying to follow God. And if you're here this morning and you're not following God or you haven't made a decision about Jesus, you haven't said, hey, I want to follow Jesus and get baptized and be in a church community, then you're weighing up whether you can fit Jesus in. And I've got great news for you. You don't have to fit him in. He wants to take over everything. Let's take over your schedule, your heart, your marriage, your life, your kids. It's so good. And he wants to make it all fantastic and all life to the full and all a blessing and all joy and peace and happiness and all the good stuff you want. Jesus wants to do that. So don't worry about being busy because God will just take over anyway. But we get stuck on this journey to following God. In the Pilgrim's Progress, a book I've mentioned a few times during this series, there's this chapter called The Slough of Despond. Does anyone remember that from the Pilgrim's Progress? The Slough of Despond. So the Pilgrim's Progress is the first novel written in the English language. It was written by John Bunyan about 350 years ago. Never had a book been written, never had a novel been written before in English. And this is the first book written in English, which has become the greatest seller of all of English literature. Apart from the Bible, this book is the second top seller every year, still even 350 years later. And we contributed to that as a church the last month, because I know heaps of you bought the children's version of the little, uh, it's called The Little Pilgrim's Progress, about little Christian on his journey to the celestial city. So it's, the whole story is an allegory of the spiritual life and the journey to get to the celestial city, 
which is a symbol for heaven. And along the way, Christian, he starts off with this burden on his back and he finds it very hard on the journey because he has this huge burden, but eventually comes to the cross and the burden falls away and he's able to follow the path and the track and it takes him on this adventure. Along the way, he meets all these different people. One of the first people that he meets is this guy named Pliable. So everyone has funny names. There's mistrust and there's pliable and there's charity and there's distraction and there's temptation. All these people he meets along the way. But he meets pliable and pliable starts following Jesus with him on the journey. But they both fall into this marsh, this bog. They get stuck. It's called the slough of despond. So it's like a bog of misery and depression. And my spiritual life isn't really working. And pliable quickly struggles out of the marsh and goes back to his village. He's quickly I don't want to follow anymore. I don't want to head towards the celestial city. Christian, now in the book that I'm reading to my kids, Christian is a little rabbit. But in the original book, Christian's a person, okay? So if I get a little bit mixed up with rabbit or whatever, then uh, you have to forgive me. But this little rabbit gets stuck in a marsh, like little hold us in our walk with Jesus. We get a bit spiritually bogged down at times. But he pushes through, and this squirrel in the kids' version, uh, called Help, helps him out of the marsh to continue on his journey of following Jesus. So the slough of despond, or this bog of misery and stuckness, is kind of symbolic of the stuckness that we sometimes get into with our walk with God. Now I would say, as I was thinking about this this week and how to explain this to you, I'd say there's three kind of different versions of getting stuck. I think the first kind of person who gets stuck is the person who doesn't know Jesus, maybe has a loose belief in God, but's not really sure where to get the answers from. And maybe people come to church or maybe they have a Christian friend and they've got questions about spiritual things. What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? What are we doing? Is it just work, work, work and then die and pass my inheritance to my kids? Or is there more to life than all of this? There's the spiritual seeker who's stuck because they don't know where to find the answers. And guess what? If you're sitting here this morning, you know Jesus, you have the answers. That's called evangelism. That's called you're meant to tell your neighbor Jesus is the answer to your spiritual problems. Now, lots of Aussies don't think they have a spiritual problem, but they do. They have an anxiety problem, they have a mental problem, they have a relationship problem, they have a marriage problem, but all of these things essentially filter down to the deep core of who you are in your heart, in your spirit. There's a spiritual problem that we all have and we all struggle with and Christians choose to follow Jesus as the solution to that problem. But Christians, and this is the next kind of couple of people I want to talk to you about, people who do believe in Jesus get stuck as well. Has anyone experienced that? It's not easy following Jesus. It feels like there's many bogs and marshes and sloughs and things to trip you up along the way. It's often a struggle and a wrestle to to go after him. So the second kind of person gets stagnant in their walk with God. They're often stuck in a cycle of hurry and distraction. They want to follow Jesus. They believe the stuff. They believe the Christian stuff, but they're a little bit stuck. They feel like their Christian walk is going around in circles. They read books and ask questions, and, but nothing really goes anywhere. There's not enough time to really focus in on God. Often this is people who've grown up in the church. So they've, they kind of believe the stuff. They've always been around churches. But honestly, if they get honest with themselves, their spiritual walk has been like this for a long time. There hasn't been a lot of growth. You know, they used to lead in the church, but they don't lead anymore. They used to serve and be involved and give and put in and give generously. And, but, you know... They've, 
money's tight now and I've got kids now and you know I did my time as a leader in my 20s like don't I get to sit back and let someone else do it now and everything just the fruit has kind of worn off and they're a bit flatlined they're not walking away from God but like they're just stuck the third kind of person's a little bit different though that stagnation has now turned into decline and it's like any of you business guys out there you know how business works you know it goes up and you're the entrepreneur and you start a business and people buy a product and then but things always hit a point don't they and then you come back down the other side of the hill stagnation turns into decline decline turns into death it's very hard to arrest decline you know we start to get stuck in a place that heads to decline and often what I see as a pastor is people get spiritually stuck usually on an issue there's an issue that we can't recognize and it sends us from stagnation to decline you know maybe there was a prayer that you prayed and you prayed so hard but God didn't answer you believed for a miracle but that person wasn't healed and they died and we get stuck on issues you know, churches, pastors are going to disappoint you. I'm going to let you down. This church will disappoint you at some point. You can get stuck on that. Oh, my church. Oh, my pastor. Oh, the Christians out there. Oh. Often decline comes because we get stuck on an issue. We can't let it go. We get hurt. Something goes wrong in our life. Why didn't God come through for me? I've been a good Christian person. I've paid my tithes. I've been to church, but then my life isn't working out. I'm not blessed anymore. We get caught on that issue. We get caught on a lie. We get caught on a problem. And we forget that Jesus said in John 16, 33, that in this world, you will have many troubles. There's going to be many things to catch you out. There's going to be many sloughs of despond. There's going to be many days of depression and misery. But take heart, Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. You can get out of the bog. You can get out of being stuck but the only way to move forward to get out of the bog to get out of your stuckness is to follow Jesus that is the solution to stuckness but when I say follow Jesus I don't mean believe I don't mean agree to a bunch of Christian beliefs I mean follow let me demonstrate it for you Following is dynamic. Following has literal movement. Following is hands-on. Christianity is an apprenticeship. It's hands-on training as you go through life. God teaches you through the different problems you've come across. How do I do this? How do I build that wall? How do I engineer that roof? It's a hands-on apprenticeship of life and of a spiritual walk where God is teaching you as you go. So if you're not praying, God can't build a relationship with you because relationship comes through prayer. You know, prayer, it just hit me this week, prayer is to the soul what the canary was to the, the miners down the mining shaft. Your prayer life will be the temperature check of the depth of your Christian walk. If prayer is happening and you're taking that time every day just to sit aside for 15 minutes, just talk to him, let him talk back to you, write it down, listen, God, I've got to make this decision, what do you think, put your decisions before God, put your issues before God, that is going to be the canary that's standing up, that's keeping your soul alive. But once that prayer life goes, stagnation, decline, death is inevitable. 
Because prayer brings you back to why am I alive? Prayer brings you back to what do I really believe? Prayer brings you back to what am I really doing? What has God called me to do? That's following Jesus. It's active, it's got words, it's listening, it's moving forward. There's nothing about Jesus that's passive. When Jesus said, hey, come follow me, the disciples didn't sit back, sit back and say, oh, okay, awesome. Yep, I'll just sit here and fish. I've got to pull this bunch of uh, fish in with my net and yep, yep, I'm following. I get it. I believe in what you're doing. Awesome. Like you do it and I'll sit here and transfer my tithes and I'm, yeah, well, I'm in. I'm in. No, no, no. Jesus said, come, follow me. Walk, talk, live, serve, tithe, pray, Sabbath, evangelize, witness, deal with your issues, pray, get some mentoring, see a pastor, have a counseling session, talk to your friend, cross the line, tell them to get their walk back with God, go to a conference, grow, do a training course, grow in your faith, talk to someone else about Jesus. It's dynamic, it's life, it's as you go, it's 24-7, it's heart, it's mind, it's body, it's relationships, it's work, it's not at work, it's kids, it's Everything is about following Jesus. It's a complete and utter lifestyle. Let's look at what Jesus said about following him as a disciple. In Matthew 16, 24, he calls to the crowd and says, whoever wants to be my disciple, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. The denial of the self is something that you've got to do. It's a decision you've got to make. That's why I'm encouraging you last week, and I'm going to encourage you again this week, our practice is to look at your schedule, pull it apart, and go, is there following Jesus in my Monday to Sunday? Is there prayer? Is there fasting? Is there meeting with Christian brothers and sisters to grow? Is it in there? Because if it's not in there, then you're not following. You're just ticking a census box. But I know you're here today in church as an act of following Part of being a Christian is coming to church like this because it requires you to move, to get out of bed, to have a shower. Well, some of you to have a shower. Some of you not to have a shower, okay? But try and have a shower before you come to church. It helps us all worship and focus better if we're all showered and clean. But well done because you've taken a step to follow Jesus this morning. It's active. It's alive. It got you to move. It gets you to lift your hands. It gets you to hopefully listen right now. All of these things are active. They're hands-on. Take up your cross. There's a lot of movement in that. It's not read the book about Christian stuff and believe it. It's not passive. It's not tick a box in a census thing. It's not fill out this form. It's pick up that cross. There's a load to carry. There's a burden. There's a responsibility in following Jesus. You either pick up the cross or you don't. You get the choice. Jesus, come follow me is an invitation. He's not going to not love you if you don't. God's not going to send you off to hell if you don't. But he's inviting you, come follow me. But it's, you're going to have to take up your cross. You're going to have to choose to follow. Luke 14, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Again, I don't want to hurt your feelings this morning, but I just want to give you the real words of Jesus. What did he say about following? John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples. Okay, here's, some, here's a KPI for you. You love one another. You love one another. Love, sacrifice, 
Loving, it takes, requires effort. Loving requires movement. If, if my kids grow up and I've never hugged them, I've never touched them, I've never done anything to show my love, do you think they're going to grow up and go, yeah, well, Dad, we knew in your head that you loved us. Like, you never touched me for 20 years as a kid. Like, I needed a hug a couple of times. Like, it would have been nice. But, you know, mentally, I know you loved me. That's fine. I'm a secure, well-rounded human being who's emotionally stable and can go on and live a great life. Uh-uh-uh-uh. That never happens. <laughs> because love requires affirmation. I have to think up words to say and intentionally say them and bless my children with my loving words. I have to touch them. It requires, there's a physicality. Love has to, I have to embody love. Like it has to come out of me, physically come out of me or else my children won't feel loved. Love is something that we demonstrate. We demonstrate it through gifts. Some are better than others at that. My uh, wife Zoe is awesome at gifts. I suck at gifts. So if I never give you a gift, it doesn't mean I don't love you. There you go. We've covered that one now. Now you can't get offended because I suck at gifts. And if you never get a gift at your wedding from us, then that's Zoe's fault. So I apologize on her behalf because she's the gift person. John 15, 8, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Fruit matters producing something. Does your prayer life, does your study of the scripture, does your Sabbathing, does your fasting, does your living in community produce fruit? Can you go home and go, hey, I went to that life group the other night and something's changing in me. Look at this. Hey, I spend time with Jesus in silence and solitude and I come out of it and things happen that I wouldn't do as a selfish human being who's busy and got all my excuses. I wouldn't do it I spent that time with God and something shifted in me and then it outworked in this way. It outworked in love. It outworked in generosity. It outworked in patience. It outworked in service. It outworked in sacrifice. There's fruit produced. Matthew 4.19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Come follow me and I'll send you out to do a job, to have a call. Matthew 9.9, Jesus says to the tax collector, sorry, Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. His life was dramatic. He dropped his nets. He dropped his job. He put aside his career. He went home and spoke to his wife. And then he said, I'm going to follow this guy, Jesus. Following is dynamic. And following Jesus, actively following Jesus, solves the problem of spiritual stuckness. Christian had to move forward through the bog, scraping, moving, struggling to get forward on the track towards the celestial city, towards heaven, towards maturity. He had to continue to grow even when it was difficult. I know it's hard when we get stuck. I know you might be sitting there this morning going, it's true, I'm stuck, things aren't happening, there's not much fruit in my life. God doesn't care about your wage packet. God doesn't care about your travel schedule. God's not very concerned about all of these outward measures that we have as human beings of success. God doesn't care what your friends out there think how awesome you are, how awesome your marriage is, or how full a head of hair you've got. None of that matters. God looks into your heart. He wants you to follow him with your whole life. How is that aligned? I want to encourage you this morning with this little comparison between a disciple and a Christian. I'm using the word Christian here in very much the sense of, tick the census box, I identify as a Christian, okay? 
So I'm not, I'm not meaning to be negative about the word Christian, although when Christian appears in the Bible all of three times, it generally was used originally as a criticism and as a pulling down of those followers of the way. They called them Christians. I think it was at Ephesus first, and it was actually a negative kind of concept. That obviously meaning the word has changed a lot for us, and Christian means something different. But today I want to separate Christian from those people that believe the core tenets of the Christian faith. God created the world, sin is really bad, we need Jesus, he died on the cross, celebrate that at Easter, all those important doctrines and tenets of the faith. I believe that stuff, tick, 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 tick. I want to separate that from a disciple, a follower of the way, someone who lives an active lifestyle moving towards spiritual maturity, who wants to grow, who wants to know God more. One of these hears and does. One of these hears and that's it, they hear. The Bible's very clear on hearing and doing is the way of the disciple. Hearing without works, without actions, is just a Christian. Well, I believe it, but I don't do anything about it. Faith without works. Being a disciple is a total lifestyle modeled on Christ what we might call total Christianity or 24-7 Christianity. Now, I don't want to make you feel bad this morning. That is never the purpose of a sermon. But I do want to help us see where we're stuck because if you can become unstuck, then life and life to the full is going to just flourish in you even more. The unstuck Christian gives Jesus their whole life. And they don't just model it on some idea of Christianity or some YouTuber that they watch. They model it on Jesus Christ himself as we read about him in the scriptures, the way that he lived. A Christian by name only could be kind of a part-time dabbler, you know, kind of a part-time follower. It's a bit of a difference between the following as in the first century, come follow me and be a disciple. That really meant drop everything and follow this rabbi Jesus. And he's the master, the rabbi, the teacher. I'm going to be the student, the disciple and follow him. Do you remember we spoke about that in the first week or two of this series? That the first century call to discipleship was actually a, a, an amazing thing. Only the most talented young Jewish men who had been educated as a boy, educated as a teenager, that most intelligent Hebrew of the Hebrews the talented young men coming up in the town, they may have a chance, they would compete with each other to maybe have a chance of following some famous rabbi, some brilliant teacher of what we call the Old Testament, what they called the Torah, the Hebrew Bible. And out of this very small, small group of talented, young, intelligent, devoted men, the rabbi might choose one or two that would follow him. And the idea to follow the rabbi is that you would sleep next to him, you would eat with him, you would follow him 24-7. The aim of the student, the disciple, was to be covered in the dust of their rabbi because they walked so closely behind their teacher that they would be covered with the dust of their rabbi, that their entire life, their sleeping, their eating, their every waking moment would be learning and consuming the yoke that this rabbi would put upon their student. That's what they called it, the yoke, was their particular teaching of the Torah. Now let's fast forward a couple of thousand years. Now follow means like on Facebook, 
heart on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube. It's a very distant thing. There's no dust covering me there. Well, I'll take a bit of that. I like that news over there and I'll dabble in a bit of American politics and I'll read some outrageous stuff here about, oh my goodness, these people over there and I'll, you know, watch all of this hoarding stuff, Pastor Leanne. She's telling me she's into hoarding videos of people get their lives cleaned up. Whatever it is. But following is very different, isn't it? Being a disciple in the first century was be with my rabbi, become like my rabbi, and then eventually I could be a rabbi. I could be a teacher. I could be an expert in this stuff. Following in the 21st century is very different. I follow when I want. I follow how I want. I follow for free. I'm not going to pay a subscription or pay a price. Just, Just give me the information. I follow what I like. I don't follow what I don't like. It's very I-centered. It's very me-centered. It's very much I'm the consumer here. When Jesus said, come follow me, it was a complete opposite. He is the rabbi. He is the expert. He is the master. But different to the rabbis of his day, Jesus didn't select one or two. He said to all men, all women, Jews or Gentiles, first century people or 21st century people, come follow me. Everybody is invited to come under the teaching of this rabbi. The disciple loves God and love others. That is what consumes their life. It's all this way and then that becomes all that way to other people. Loving others is exactly the same as loving God. Loving God is exactly the same as loving others. The two are tied together. That's what Jesus did. The greatest commandment is this, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The Christian, in just the cultural Christian sense, loves the benefits of Christianity. I feel good when I go to church. (laughs) It's nice when I hear a sermon that affirms something I'm doing. Oh, I might be on the right track. We're looking for benefits. The disciples not looking for benefits. They're looking to lay down their life. It's a very, very different relationship to Jesus. The disciple understands that a relationship with Jesus is a transformational lifestyle. God is going to come after my heart, my mind, my finances, my family, everything, but I'm going to be transformed from glory to glory to glory. The Christian, it's informational. Oh, that sermon's interesting. Oh, that podcast. Oh, I read this Christian book. We, we consume information. Oh, I've done a uh, theology degree. I know the stuff. We have a book knowledge of Jesus. We could tell you all the stuff about Jesus. We could even tell you about the archaeological findings. We could tell you about the deep theology. We could tell you about, I read all the great Christian leadership books. You can know a lot of stuff. But that's different. That's a different. That's important. And look, I read a lot. I study a lot, blah, blah, blah. But that's not what I'm in it for. Those things are a cherry on top. What I want is transformation. I want my heart to be changed. I want my selfishness to be dealt with. I want my life to mean something on this earth for God. Not because I became famous and did some cool stuff. I want God, I want to stand before God one day and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do. And yes, that took a lot of prayer and and you had to change and you let me transform your heart, but you did it, well done. You know, Jesus actually has, an, has a name for these people where it's all information. They're called the Lord, Lord Company. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, that they come to him, don't they? And they say, hey, we raised the dead. We, we, we fed the poor. 
We cast out demons. We did all of this great stuff. We went to church. We did all this. I, I knew about all the stories. I taught them to my kids. All these things. I had all the info. I passed it on. I had a great knowledge of Christianity. And then I even did some amazing things. Some miracles happened. And Jesus says, get away from me. Get away from me, you sinners. I don't want to be in that company. I don't want to be in the Lord, Lord company. Lord, Lord, we did some stuff. Lord, Lord, I raised the dead. Lord, Lord, I know the stuff. Lord, Lord, I was around it. Isn't that enough? And Jesus is like, but I don't know you. I didn't want all the stuff. That's great. But what I want is I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your pain. I want you to get away with me and spend some time with me and say, God, I'm stuck. Help me. I want to grow. That's what I want. That's what Jesus wants. He wants your weakness. He wants your humility. He wants your pain. He wants your tears. He wants your sorrow. He wants to grow you. He wants to change you on the inside. Out of that place, great information, books, learn, grow. Of course, I'm all for that. I do all of that. But the first step is transformation. Following Jesus is a lifelong faithful apprenticeship. It's this every day. It's this the next day. I'm faithfully following you, Jesus. It's an apprenticeship. And the day I die, I will still be an apprentice because you are God and I need you and I need to follow you. The danger with Christianity is it becomes an event, especially often in our worship tradition is more charismatic. It can become a sinner's prayer. It can become a baptism. This is not following Jesus, what we saw today. This is a great moment in time that pushes you to the next level in your walk with God. But you can't say, I got baptized once 17 years ago. That's not what makes us a disciple. God doesn't want a relationship with you that happened 17 years ago in a baptismal tank or a sinner's prayer. Or that time I came on the prayer line, I got hit by God and my life changed. Oh, again, I love that stuff. I'm here for that stuff. But they're moments in time. It should be one event and the next event and the next encounter and the next breakthrough. And here's a sin I deal with and then I grow. And there's another sin I deal with and I grow. The more you grow, the more you'll actually see your sin. If you've been a Christian a long time and following Jesus well for a long time, you should see more sin. You should be dealing with junk more often because you're more humble. You're more aware of his greatness and your imperfection. So the daily prayers become a lot about, I could grow. And there's another level here. Man, I see my weaknesses and my fragility, God, but you're growing me and dealing with me. Not, I got baptized that time. I was a leader 10 years ago. I've done some Christian stuff. And now I'm just, you know, from 32 to 72, 82, when I pass away, I'm just, I'm cool. I, di I did those big things when I was young and that kind of got me in the door. That is not what God wants. God wants so much more for you. God wants to have so much of a deeper relationship with you. This is why we practice following Jesus. This is why so many people, it's great the feedback from this last 10 weeks because so many people have been impacted by these practices. It's practical, it's simple, these are seven things, core things, that if you're going to do anything, I would just do this. If you don't do anything else the rest of your life, get these seven practices down pat. They will help you grow. They'll help you move forward. They'll help you mature in your faith. I've got a little table here for you for what this might look like over a week. Oh, sorry, we've got this, the practice first maybe for this week. The practice first for this week is similar to last week to create a weekly schedule that includes the spiritual practices. So if you got a chance to do that this week, fantastic. If you did it this week, I encourage you to go back, 
review the last week, how it went, and really focus in uh, on, on the last point there. If you went over them, uh, the final point is about, there's a worksheet there about going deeper and actually looking not just at your schedule, but at your entire life. Okay, it's called a rule of life. So a rule that you live by. Um, I encourage you to go deeper on that. If you didn't get a chance to do the practice, I want to give you another chance this week. I know it's a big one. I know it's going to take you half an hour to sit down and look at your life. But the challenge here is to go through your schedule, your week, and actually look at what's negotiable and what's non-negotiable. What activities are you doing that can't shift? I've got to drop the kids off at school every day at 8.45. That is a non-negotiable activity that I do every day. So if I want to pray at 8.30 or 8.45, well, it's never going to happen. So what's non-negotiable in your life? Some of you have to work certain times and shifts, and you just, you just can't do anything about that unless you left your job, okay? But what's non-negotiable? And I really encourage you, be brutally honest about what's non-negotiable. Remember going into this that you will lie to yourself like crazy. You will excuse yourself like crazy. You will justify yourself like crazy. So let's just say that's going to happen. Put that aside. Now, be brutally honest about what's negotiable in your life. For a lot of us, work is negotiable. For a lot of us, drop, I could drop the kids off at 8.15 if I wanted. The teachers are here. I can do that. There's some flexibility there. If you really look at your life, and I don't want you to just do this as some kind of life coaching technique to make you feel better. I want you to present this to God. Put this before the Holy Spirit. Say, here's my seven days, Lord God. Maybe God's in there a little bit. Maybe God's not really in there at all. Maybe God's in there a lot. Fantastic. Well, how could he be in there more? How could he be in there deeper? How could you be going around to someone else's house saying, hey, do you want me to pray with you? Do you want me to study the scriptures with you? Hey, let's do life group here, but then why don't you stay on and let's do more? Maybe you've got more in the tank spiritually that you can overflow into others. This here is a really simple way that you could look at doing all the practices in a week. And again, this isn't to condemn or to embarrass or anything. I'm not doing all of these things. Like I said last week, fasting for me is not happening at the moment, something I'm looking into. A little bit of prayer and scripture four days a week, maybe fasting on a Monday, living in community. So I go to my life group Wednesday night and then Sunday morning, you've got living in community, worshiping. Sabbath, I would recommend on a Sunday, just do it as part of coming to church. Just get up in the morning, don't look at your phone, dress your kids, come to church, worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, go home, eat some good food, take an hour, half an hour, sit with your kids, your roommates, your wife, whoever, and just spend some time with God in the afternoon. Do a bit of a Sabbath, just stop. Don't go grocery shopping on a Sunday afternoon, are you crazy? Don't rush off, don't work. Try and give a day to the Lord and keep it holy. And silence and solitude is something I try and do every day, but my encouragement there is take an hour once a week. That's why I put it Saturday afternoon, or maybe for you it's you got a day off on Thursday or something. Just take an hour. Go and breathe. Go and sit in a park and breathe for 45 minutes and just be silent. Stop talking. Stop thinking. Stop thinking about work. Stop thinking about the next project. Just learn to take half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour. Just be silent. Just listen to him, just talk to him, put on some worship music, meditate, whatever can bring you to that place of centering on God. If you could do that once a week for an hour and just put God there and just be quiet and in his presence for an hour and learn, practice to put the distractions and the appointments and the kids and the anxiety aside for 45 minutes, half an hour, that will change your life. 
Not because meditation changes your life, but because meditation and silence and solitude and prayer put you face to face with Jesus and he can change your life. No prayer, no face to face. No silence, no face to face. No Sabbath, no space for God to speak into your life. These things put you in a position to hear him. So that's my encouragement this week. I know it's getting very personal. That's why I'm saying it at the 10th week of this series. I know it's getting your schedule and oh, oh, it's a bit touchy. Oh, that's well, how I spend my time and oh, that's how we run our family. I know that. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm seeing if God maybe is asking you to do something. I'm inviting you to put your schedule before the Holy Spirit. Amen.